Well, good morning. Um, like Nick said, I'm younger, so uh, sign up for <laughs> sign up for man camp. The swag is straight dripping, no cap. Um, man camp's gonna be lit. Um, that feels uncomfortable even to say that. So. Um, my name is uh, my name is Jake. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, we're so excited uh, to be here. I'm excited to be here with you this morning. Um, we're going to be in John chapter nine, the Gospel of John, uh, chapter nine. Um, so go ahead if you if you have your Bible, go ahead and open there. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat in front of you. Encourage you um, to 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 have a Bible in front of you that you could look at, that you can read. Um, if you don't own a Bible, um, keep this one. This is our this is our gift to you. If you do not own a Bible, um, keep this one. Um, and as you are all turning there, I just wanted to first start by saying thank you. Um, thank you so much for uh, your generosity as a church for, uh, on behalf of Abigail and uh, the rest of our family. Thank you so much. You have been, as a church, incredibly generous. In particular, I want to thank the Kirks for giving us a place to stay. Um, and for all of you who, uh, we walked into the apartment our first day here, um, and there was gift baskets and gift cards, and um, a lot of those were anonymous. Um, so I can't thank you in person uh, when you leave anonymous gifts. Um, but so, so here is me saying thank you for your generosity and your support. Um, also, thank you for, for your prayers. Um, I know that so many of you have been praying for us and for our transition up here. Um, we felt it. We have felt the, 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 the confidence and the insur assurance in the Holy Spirit that this is where we're supposed to be. And so thank you so much for your prayers. Um, well, with that, uh, let's go ahead and stand as we read John chapter 9. Uh, we stand each week when we read the scriptures to remind ourselves that, that this isn't a normal book. It is the very words of God, and so we approach it with honor and rever reverence. And so we're going to be reading John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. And so they said, to, uh, they said to him, how then were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. 
And they said to him, Where is he? And he said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been born blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to him, He put mud on my eyes, I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. Let's pray. God, you are good. Thank you so much for... um, Thank you so much for Serene and the rest of his family and what you're doing in them, uh, that your word is going forth and it's not returning void, Lord, but you are doing an amazing thing, not just in this city, but in other cities, that there are people who are called by your name that you are calling to yourself. And so, Lord, thank you for that. Lord, as we read in your word this morning and as we hear you speak, Lord, will you change us? Will you help us to see you more clearly? Will you help us to love you more deeply so that, Lord, we may glorify your name in all that we do? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, please be seated. So a few weeks ago, uh, me and my family, uh, we went to the movie theater, and we went and we saw the, the Super Mario Brothers movie. And it was an amazing movie. My daughters loved it. My wife and I, we loved it. But even though we watched the same movie, each of us had very different uh, reactions or perspectives on this movie. My, my kids, of course, loved the, the, the moment where the penguins were throwing snowballs. They loved it. They, they had a great time. But my wife and I, I mean, we've grown up with Mario. Mario's been around in my life for years and years and years. And what's so fantastic about this movie, uh, for someone who has enjoyed Mario, um, is uh, there's a bunch of Easter eggs. There's a bunch of little hidden things throughout the movie that uh, my my kids didn't pick up on. My wife and I picked up on because we've been around it uh, for so long. For example, uh, the, the, the pizzeria in the movie is named after a, one of the games that I used to sit and watch my brother play for hours and hours and hours years ago. Um, and so we, we all had a blast. We all enjoyed the movie, but we enjoyed it for very different reasons. And so when it comes to movies like this, uh, often we watch the same thing, we experience the same thing, but we experience it in very different ways. Just ask 10 witnesses to a car accident, and you'll get 10 different answers as to what happened. Our perspective on an event shapes how we view that event and how we understand it, and it's shaped by so many things. And so this morning, we're going to take some time and look at a miracle done by Jesus. And Jesus does many miracles throughout his ministry. That's kind of his thing. Uh, But what's different about this one is there's there's a huge conversation that is birthed out of this. It, It lasts for the entire chapter. This miracle happens. Jesus spits in the dirt. 
he takes the mud, apparently it was a lot of spit, he takes the mud, puts it on a blind man's eyes, and he tells the blind man, okay, now go wash off the mud that I just put in your eyes. He says, go and wash. He makes it to the pool of Siloam. How he does that, I'm not sure. Maybe he asks for help. He's walking through the city. He's got mud on his eyes. And he stoops down and he washes it off. And now he can see. This man who was born blind can now see because of Jesus. And what results in this is a long conversation of what does this miracle often mean? See, physical blindness and sight reflect deeper spiritual truth that weaves through this passage regarding spiritual blindness and spiritual sight. And although we did not witness this miracle, we can only read about it, I think we'll see that how these people respond to this miracle is not very different from us. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at this miracle, but look at five perspectives of the people around, five perspectives that are birthed out of it. So first, let's take a look at the disciples. Picking it up in verse 1. As he passed by, that's Jesus, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, this concept we've been discussing at length the last couple of weeks. Throughout Job, uh, this idea that that, that, that suffering is directly related to sin. Who who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? This man is suffering, so clearly someone has had to have sinned. And I'm not going to rehash everything because we've been talking about that at length through Job, Um, but uh, the disciples meet a man blind from birth. And their their immediate thought is that someone had to have sinned. Their mindset is that we live in a, in a morally mechanical universe. When you do wrong, bad things happen. And Jesus responds to them by saying that this man was born blind, that the, the works of God might be displayed in him, that the works of God might be displayed. The, the, the that there in the Greek is the Greek word hina, which means in order that, because of, with the intent to. So what Jesus is saying here is that he wanted, God wanted to display the works of God in this man, so this man was born blind. It's not a result of sin. However, I want to address the posture of the disciples. For them, the, the man born blind, he was a theological problem for them to solve. They remained distant, standing back and saying, oh, what, what's wrong with this situation? They wanted to have an academic discussion about this man. And do we not also take this approach often when we see wrong? We see a homeless person and think, clearly if they made better decisions, they wouldn't be in this situation. Or we hear of an earthquake in another country and think, this is clearly God's judgment on them. 
Suffering is not merely a theological problem or a social issue for us to talk about where we can stand at a distance and theorize on the nature of the world. Wrong is not merely for us to go onto social media and discuss in a cold, philosophical way how the world works. These disciples saw this man born blind and they stayed back. They stayed at a distance. Let's look at our next perspective. The perspective of the parents, picking it up down in verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been born blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say... Uh, was born blind. How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know uh, who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, the parents said, he is of age, ask him. Now, a lot can be said of these parents. But before we judge them for their seemingly uncaring attitude towards their son who could now see, let me paint a picture. Years ago, these parents got to feel the joy of having a son come into the world. They rejoiced at the gift that God had given them. They probably didn't notice it immediately, but over time they began to notice that something wasn't right. They didn't see the joy in his face when he looked at them. He seemed to struggle to follow sights and sounds. Upon crawling and walking, they knew what was the issue. He was blind. And from then, previously a source of joy in their life has now become a source of fear and terror. In this culture, a boy would also be a source of income. He would go and work and provide, help to provide for the family. But now, he is a weight for, them to be, for him to be taken care of. And he will be fully reliant on his parents. Based on the fact that this boy is begging, this family's probably poor, and they were not able to take care of him, and he was left to fend for himself. Over the years, the parents were not only physically distant from him, but became emotionally distant as well. They kept hearing from those around them, I wonder what sin they are hiding that caused this man's blindness. The shame and the guilt became overwhelming, and they kept wondering why this happened to them. Their son became part of their life they didn't talk about. Do we not often consider parents in a similar light? Do we not judge parents based on the conditions of their children? A child is born with a disease or a disability. Parents, what, what did you do wrong? A child develops issues as they get older. What did you do wrong? Did you bottle feed? Yeah. 
Did you give them too much sugar? Did you sit them in, the telev- in front of the television too much? Parents are hammered with, this, with these questions over and over and over again, especially if they are struggling with a child. Whether it's a physical disability, a mental disability, a behavioral issue, whatever the struggle is, we heap guilt and shame on parents. And we as parents are already quick to feel the shame. I know what it's like to be in the ultrasound room and have the high-risk doctor come in and tell us there's something wrong with the child. My thoughts quickly turn to, what did I do wrong? God, what did I do wrong? We heap sh- uh, guilt and shame on ourselves. But the gospel, hear me, the gospel is for parents. The gospel is for parents where we would pile on shame, where we have failed. God comes and tells us that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The cross removes our shame and our guilt And God looks at you, parents, with joy and acceptance. There are no perfect parents, but parents, do your best and rest in the shame-removing love of your Savior. However, regardless of their shame and regardless of this situation, we do see them in fear of the authorities. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, they should be put out of the synagogue. The parents passed the buck. They had already received so much social ostracization uh, that they were afraid of more. See, being removed from the synagogue uh, meant that you could not worship, You could not learn of God, but you also could not enter the temple or have your sins forgiven in the ritual sacrifices. And as a result, there was more social separation uh, as many would be afraid to talk to you and associate with you. To be put out of the synagogue meant that you were essentially excommunicated from the church and from the society. In John 12, uh, in verses 42 and 43, it tells us why so many people were afraid to be put out. Many even of the authorities believed in Jesus, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Now, we aren't sure whether or not these parents believed in Jesus, but at the very least, they were afraid to even mention that Jesus might be involved with their son's healing. They were afraid of man. Now, I'm sure sure all of us are going, I wouldn't do that. Not me. That's not me. I wouldn't be afraid. I would stick up for Jesus. Put me in that situation. Yeah, I'm that way too. Yes, absolutely. Jesus healed my son. We would be bold in front of the Pharisees. But do, do we often have a fear of man here in 2023? 
Are we unwilling to pray before a meal in a restaurant because of the people around us? Are we willing to speak up for Jesus when we hear his name being ridiculed? Are, are we afraid to confess our sins to our brothers and sisters in the church because we're afraid of what they might think of us? Or like these parents, are we unwilling to ascribe to Jesus when miracles happen in our lives, especially when we are speaking with non-believers? Do we give Jesus the credit in everything? Let's transition and look at our next perspective, that of the Pharisees, picking it up in verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he, the, the man who had been born blind, he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, what did, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do, you, why do you want to hear it again? Do, do you want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are, a disciple, uh, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. The Pharisees call the blind man again, and they start to interrogate him. And, and if you notice, they're asking him the same questions over and over and over again. No matter what responses they hear, they refuse to believe in Jesus. And they refuse to believe that Jesus has come from God. I mean, pick it up in verse 32. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. This alone should have been a convincing argument for the Pharisees. Isaiah 35 says this, when the, when the Messiah comes, and then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped, and then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Later in Isaiah, it, in chapter 42, it says, I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you, and I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and from prison those who sit in darkness. See, one of the clearest pictures of the Messiah is that he would do signs, he would do miracles on earth to prove that he is the Messiah. And these are all listed throughout the Old Testament. And one of those signs is giving sight to the blind. When John the Baptist's followers, they, they, they come and they ask Jesus, hey, are, are you the Messiah? Jesus' response in Luke 7 is, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the good news preached to them. The Savior has come. 
The eyes of the blind are opened. The Pharisees should have seen this miracle, but they missed it. These Pharisees knew their Bible better than any of us. They memorized the first five books of the Bible. They spent their whole life reading the scriptures. They were the Bible study leaders. They were the theologians of the day. They were the pastors. They had Bible verses placarded all around their house. They should have known that the Messiah would have given sight to the blind. And in the, in the previous chapter, in, in, in John chapter 8, Jesus is almost stoned by the Pharisees because he makes himself equal with God. And again, in chapter 10, Jesus, uh, they almost stone him again because they, th he makes himself equal with God. Jesus says in verse 37 of chapter 10, I am not, If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. If you're, if you're driving down the highway, let's say you're going to the, the Tacoma Dome, okay? You're driving on the interstate, and you start to see signs as you approach. You see, you know, Tacoma, 10 miles away. Tacoma, 5 miles away. And then you start to see individual streets. And then you see the sign, to Tacoma Dome, exit here. It would be very silly of us to go, no, that, that sign's not right. The, the highway workers, they, they didn't know what they were doing. They put it at the wrong spot. So we shouldn't follow that sign. No, no, we follow the sign because it gets us where we need to go. One of the signs pointing to our Savior is that the blind will receive their sight. All of the answers to the Pharisees' many questions continually pointed to Jesus. The light was all around them, and they could not see it. They were blind to the truth. They did not want to see it. They could not see it. The main problem with humans is not that we need more education. The main problem with humans is, that we need, is not that we need more information to make better decisions. Our main problem is not that we need to figure, who, figure out who we are and figure out our identity or that we need to gain more power over those around us. The main problem with humans is that we cannot see and we need Jesus to come slap mud on our eyes. Sin has blinded all of us and we need Jesus to give us sight. So I just want to, I, I want to leave you with a question before we move on to our next perspective. Do you see Jesus as Savior? Or are you constantly like the Pharisees, trying to find a way where you don't, you don't need to follow Jesus? Do you see him as he is? Now, let's, let's turn our attention to the man born blind. As we talked about before, his parents were, were brought in for questioning. And considering that they needed to confirm that he was of age, 
my guess is that it would seem that this man is only about 13, 14, maybe 15 years old. He is of age. He's, he's old enough, but he's only got some peach fuzz, if you know what I mean. He, he, looks, he looks young, so that's why they brought the parents in to confirm. So he's a teenager. And what we see with this man is his faith grows rapidly and his boldness grows with it. He has no doubt felt alone his whole life, especially since he started begging. But as for those, uh, so many for those who are blind, the other senses are heightened and their hearing is better than the rest of us. He likely heard the disciples ask their theological question, asking openly if he was a sinner before they even knew him. He's probably heard statements like that his whole life. And then he hears something different, that the works of God might be displayed in him. He, he had never heard that before. Then he heard Jesus spit followed by the, the, the squish and the squelch of the mud as Jesus is kneading the mud. To his surprise, the mud's put on his eyes. I'm sure that was a big surprise. And then Jesus tells him to, to go and wash. And there was no doubt confusion what is going on, but he goes, showing simple faith and, and following the words of Jesus. After he's, he's thrown into controversy with the crowd and his parents and the Pharisees, still no doubt processing this massive life-changing event for him. However, in the midst of this interrogation, we see his faith in Jesus grow. First, when, when, he's asked, when he's first asked how he had received his sight, he, he says, the man Jesus made mud. Then a little bit later in verse 17, he says that Jesus is a, is a prophet. There's something special about him. His faith grows as he is surely convinced that the man who had given him sight was from God himself. Likewise, as, as we mature in our faith, as we grow and understand more and more of who Jesus is and his love for us, we're not just radically changed like this man, but we are also continually and consistently changed. So Christian, continue to look to Jesus. Continue to see Jesus, read about him, learn from him, pray to him in everything you do. Whether you've been walking for Jesus for three days or for 30 years, look to Jesus. There is always more of Jesus to be seen. Then finally, towards the end of the chapter, his spiritual belief has, has been growing and he finally lays physical eyes on Jesus. Remember, he hasn't seen Jesus at all throughout this entire situation. He finally lays physical eyes on Jesus for the first time in verse 38. And his response is, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped Jesus. He worshiped Jesus as God himself. And in order to see Jesus in our faith as our Savior, we need to see him, uh, we need him to give us eyes to see. Timberline Church, your faith is no less a miracle 
than this man who was given sight. And not only do we, do we see with this man, we see his faith grow, but we also see boldness grow um, as a shining example, an amazing example of, of evangelism. And his fearlessness shines against the fear of his parents. Picking it up in verse, verse 25. This man says, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. For those of us who, who struggle sharing their faith with family and friends and coworkers, this, this is the foundation point of all evangelism. I am not who I once was. Jesus happened to me. I was that, but I am now no longer. Jesus happened to me. I was an alcoholic. I was angry. I was an atheist. I was addicted to gambling. I found my hope in things I could buy. I was sexually immoral. I was depressed. I was suicidal. I was gay. I was afraid. But I am no longer because Jesus entered my life. I was that, but now I am this. Don't be afraid of sharing who you were to those around you because Jesus has changed you. He has given you eyes to see. And the last thing I want to mention about this man is, is his increasing boldness in his response to the Pharisees. And I think there's a, there, there's a whole other sermon here um, in how to engage unbelievers uh, but this man born blind, he exposes their faulty thinking and their unwillingness to listen to his explanation. In verse 27, he responds to the Pharisees, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why? 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 Do you, do you want to hear it again? Do, do you? Do you also want to become his disciples? And there, there might be some teenage sarcasm here that he's just getting fed up with these Pharisees, but I think it's such a profound response in, uh, in, in responding to those who are badgering you with questions. Do, do you also want to become a Christian? Those who are blind to Jesus will not fully understand until they see him in faith. You can give them all the arguments you can muster, and like the Pharisees, they will disregard them. They need to believe in order to see Jesus. Charles Spurgeon says it this way, If a man is born blind, you need not talk to him about scarlet and mauve and magenta. Those are all shades of red, in case you didn't know. He cannot understand you. He does not know anything about it. Go on. For it is no use reasoning with him. The only thing you can do is to take him where he can get his eyes opened. To argue with him is utterly useless. He has not the faculty. Do not try and reason with such people. Believe that they are incapable of learning from you by reasoning and go to God's Holy Spirit and with this cry, Lord, open their eyes. Lord, open their eyes. Be very patient with them. For you cannot expect blind men to see and must not be very angry with them if they do not. But be very prayerful for them and bring the gospel to them in power of the Holy Spirit 
and then who knows, but their eyes may be opened. Lay before them the gospel and let God open the eyes of the blind. And our last perspective is Jesus. Turn back to verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. He stops and sees. Jesus stops and he sees. He sees those who are hurting. Do we see those that are hurting and afflicted, or do we just merely pass by? Those who are disabled, like this man, uh, the man on the median with the cardboard sign, those living in a tent off the interstate, the immigrant in the grocery store not knowing what to do, the young mom in tears because her child won't stop crying, the teenager feeling unending, hopelessness. Like the story of the Good Samaritan, don't go to the other side of the road and avoid the brokenness in the world. See it. See it. Move toward it, not away. Not as a problem to be solved, but as a person to be loved and cared for. Jesus made himself a friend to sinners, and uh, are we a friend to those who are broken around us? Your Savior came to you when you were in desperate need. Move to those who are in need. We see a willingness in, in Jesus, a willingness to be inconvenienced by those in need. Jesus repeatedly, on his way to something else, stops and cares for those on the side of the road. While marching into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and being honored like a king, Jesus stops the entire procession for a man born blind. Make time to stop and slow down for those in need. Here he was passing by, and he stops and he sees. He stoops. The God of the universe, the creator of all, stoops and gets his hands in the mud and heals this man. And this man goes and washes and sees. And Jesus steps away, and, and, and we don't read about him until the end of the chapter where he comes back onto the scene. The blind man had been cast out for his responses to the Pharisees. No doubt, alone, and unsure what to do next. Jesus pursues him. He looked around for him and found him. And I think it's not a coincidence that the next chapter is all about Jesus being the good shepherd. Jesus leaves the 99 and finds the one who is lost. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Matthew 9 tells us that when Jesus sees the multitude, he has compassion on them like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus constantly pursues his people, and if you are here, he is pursuing you. Do you see Jesus? 2 Corinthians chapter 4 tells us that if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled 
to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. If you don't see Jesus, if you don't love Jesus, are you blind? But here's the beautiful thing. When, when we look to Jesus, when we, when we see Jesus, this is what we see. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, he has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is what we see. We see Jesus. We see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And so Timberline, see Jesus, believe in him, trust in him, cling to him, and worship Jesus. Let's pray. God, we need you. We need you at the moment when we see, we need you to, to come and, and um, uh, open our eyes. But Lord, as we grow in our faith, we need you to continue to show us deep things of you, show us more of you uh, so that we may mature and in the end worship you. Lord, may you be glorified in our lives and in our hearts and may you change us. May you change us so that we may love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. Lord, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.